right, well, good morning. And good morning to you guys who are joining us online as well. It is awesome to know that you are out there. Uh, man, I needed that. That was great. Like, I'm like, I'm super hyped. I, like, I put my tea down. I'm like, okay, too much. And it's awesome. We're going to continue today with a study that we started several weeks ago on the book of Isaiah. And as we do, today we come to the first of four different songs that God, through the prophet Isaiah, sat down and wrote and then put into the book of Isaiah. So before we jump into song number one, uh, I just thought maybe I'd pause and talk about that a little bit because I think maybe that's a new idea for some of you, you know, like some of you are going, wait a minute, so God writes songs, you know, you're looking on Spotify, that's what I assume you're doing if you're on your phone right now, that's called benefit of the doubt, people, okay? God writes songs, like I, I, I had no idea, yes, God is an artist, God is a poet, God is a songwriter, he's a composer, Where does art come from for us? Why do we have artists? Why do we have poets? Why do we have musicians? Because if you think about it, if we all just evolved from some primordial soup, the Mona Lisa does not exactly advance the survival of the fittest. What's the utility of these things? Because we all agree that it has great utility because it stirs and moves us. Like it's it's beautiful, it's capturing, it's... It's amazing, and, and, and the reality is that we have people who produce all of this stuff because we're created in the image of a God who is an artist, who is a poet, who is a composer. And one of the things that he composes, as we're going to see today in the next three weeks, is songs, which is a great gift to us if you think about it, and here's why. Because what is a song if not a window into the heart into the mind, into the soul of the one who has written it. And so then, you know, what moves God's heart? What occupies God's mind? What stirs God's soul? What is it? The answer is we're going to see. It is, it is the salvation of God's people through the work of God's servant. And the whole Bible comes together and says the servant that this is talking about, though this is written 700 years before his birth, is Jesus, and that is itself also a testament to the miraculous nature of the work of Christ and of the Word of God. It's a remarkable and amazing thing. What moves God's heart, what occupies his mind, what stirs his soul is the salvation of God's people through the work of God's servant. Maybe you're like, okay, so how do you become one of God's people? Like, how do I know if I'm one of God's people? I think it's a very natural question, and it's a good one to ask. And I think the answer to that is ultimately seen in what you do with the work of his servant. In other words, he's coming to you, and he's offering you through the work of Jesus salvation. And we'll get to what that means in a second. But the deal is if you walk away from it and walk away from it and walk away from it and in the end just reject it entirely, then that's one answer. But if at some point you go, oh my goodness, wait a minute, I want this, that's another. So the, sto- the songs that we're going to look at ask two questions. They might ask other ones, and we'll get to them if they do, but the two questions primarily that they ask are this. First of all, have you personally experienced the salvation that Jesus, who is the God's servant, came into this world to bring? And secondly... If you have, is Jesus' mission of taking that salvation to the world the thing, okay, that moves your heart, that occupies your thoughts and minds like you can't get it off your mind, that stirs your soul, like lays hold of you at the deepest part of your being and won't let go? Because if you are a Christian, please understand that you are part of the spirit-filled body of Jesus in this world. In other words, Jesus has a physical presence in this world, and it is his people who he fills with his spirit and then sends out on whose mission? Mine? No. His. So really, the second question is, are you on mission? 
All right, keep all that in mind. Song number one is found in Isaiah 42, beginning in verse 1, where we hear the voice of Father God, and here's what he sings. He says, behold my servant. I just want to stop there for a minute. Okay, that's not a suggestion. God's not coming to you with suggestions. He doesn't go, hey, you know what? I mean, if you get like a commercial break in the football game this afternoon, you can just kind of mute the TV for a minute. And I mean, if you feel like it, take a look at Jesus. He's coming to us and he's going, no, 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 for the good of your heart, for the good of your mind, for the good of your soul, for the good of your family, for the good of the people all around you, for the good of the little world that you occupy and the big world that we all occupy, for the good of this, I want you to behold my servant. He commands us to do that which is good. It's, we do the same thing with kids. You know, if our kids are sick, you know, we bring them medicine. It's like, it's 2021 and medicine still tastes terrible. I don't get that. We put a man on the moon like when I was five or something. Medicine, terrible. But we make them take it because it's life to them. God does not taste terrible. He comes to us with that which is sweet and, and wonderful. The Bible comes and says, taste and see that the Lord is what? Good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He's like, okay, so here's the deal. As your heavenly father, I'm going to command you to do something that, that will be good for you. What I want you to do is I want you to behold my servant. I want you to behold my son. His name is Jesus. whole Bible gives witness to that. It is not at all unclear. And I want you to behold my servant, okay, in direct contrast to all of the other gods of this world. Now, why do I say that? Because the nine verses leading up to this behold my servant, God is just taking to task the gods of this world. He's going after him hard. Why? Because he's good. And he wants good for his people, for all people. And so he spends nine verses just hammering him. And I want to read you the ninth verse. And I want you to look for the word behold, because we just heard it over here. And this is the verse that leads into this. He's like, behold this, now this. Talking about the gods of this world, he says, behold those gods, which, by the way, are oftentimes in and of themselves good things. Money is a good thing. Sex is a good thing. Marriage is a good thing. Having kids can be a great and amazing thing. Work is a good thing. A good reputation is a good thing. All of these things are typically good things. They become idols when we take them and we make them the ultimate thing. And then they fail us. Why? Because they cannot prepare us for death. They cannot take all of the misery we experience in this life and return good. They do not give us meaning or purpose. They cannot confer value or significance upon us. They're good things. They're good things. They're good things. You know what? I'm going to worship them. Not good at all. And God's like, look, then let me save you some time. Behold all of those things. If you make them your God, well, then they are a delusion. Their works are nothing. Their metal images are empty wind. And those of us who have acquired a good deal of them, no, that's the case. It's kind of like, man, you know, you think that when you get to the top of the mountain, everything that you've been longing for, looking for, hoping for is going to be there. Then you get to the top of the mountain and you realize that it's the shortest mountain on the block. Like, oh, crud, now i got to go climb that mountain. Maybe that's where it's going to be, and it's not. And then that one, and that's where it's going to be, and it's, it's not. As Will said, we started Alpha this Thursday night, so shameless plug. would love to have you. 
Like if you're going, hey, I don't know if I'm one of God's people, but I'm willing to take the journey of am I going to walk away from this Jesus or am I going to walk into relationship with this Jesus? Alpha is the perfect place for you, and it's the perfect place for anyone you know who is thinking along those lines or who might even consider it. So come on out. But this is the first one that Beth and I have done in a while. Like when we started Alpha several years ago, we were in and, and then life sort of took over. So we did like the first, I don't know, maybe three rounds. And so it's kind of been a while and now we're empty nesters, which I keep coming back to because it, it's, it's joyful. And so anyway, and all of a sudden, like things have just kind of cleared out for us a little bit. And Drew's like, man, I'm putting my Alpha team together. I said, hey, we'll be on your team. So we're part of the team, and we just watched the video on Thursday night, and it's called, Is There More to Life Than This? So what's the this? It's all this stuff over here. Like, people are looking at all this stuff over here, and it's not answering the big issues and questions of life, and we're all kind of going, wait a minute, is there more to life than this? And here's the thing about the human heart. We believe there is. Now, again, if we evolve from some primordial soup, where in the world would that expectation, even that thought, that idea come from? Something else, more than the physical, there has to be embedded within us some memory of heaven, some instinct of more. So anyway, the video is great. And I love the quotes in the video. So I'm going to read you some of the quotes. Because what they do is they go out and they find people who have gathered up all of this stuff, and then they kind of effectively say, hey, what does this guy have to say about it? Because he has everything that we think that if we got, okay, then everything would be good. Jim Carrey. He says, I wish everyone could be rich and famous and get everything they ever dreamed of so that they would know that's not the answer. Russell Brand, he's got it all, right? He's empty. He says, drugs and alcohol are not my problem. Reality is my problem. Drugs and alcohol are my solution to fill up a hole inside of me that none of this stuff is filling. The late Freddie Mercury. Okay, honest moment. How many of you are Queen fans? Okay, I think they're one of the most talented bands ever. I know I just lost some of you, and some of you are going to write me emails, and now you're questioning whether I'm a Christian. And, I, and you know what? Just don't, don't write it. Just, it's, okay, it's good, right? Like, I mean, they're just really, really talented people. Shortly before his death, he says, you can have everything in the world and still be the loneliest man. And that's the most bitter type of loneliness. Success, he says, has brought me world idolization and millions of pounds, but it's prevented me from having the one thing that we all need, a loving, ongoing relationship. What is the offer of the gospel? It is God coming to you and saying, I thought so much of you, I sent my son to die for you that I might have with you the ultimate ongoing love relationship. Indeed, not even death prevents us from ongoing in this relationship. And in fact, if anything, it accelerates it. It's remarkable. We die, we get him. We live, we have him. And it doesn't just do that with him. I mean, it does that with anybody who has faith in him. It connects you inextricably and for forever through the connection that is Jesus to anyone else who has faith in Jesus. I mean, I just use Beth and I as an example. You know, I mean, we're 29 years married, our kids are out of the house, you know, like occasionally we sort of joke about who's going to go first, because the reality is we're both going to die at some point, okay? And I know, because I am super wound up, that I'm going first, and that's my plan, and I'm sticking to it. And so she'll say things that, 
I mean, are kind of ridiculous. Like she has said this several times, like 10 times. She has said, you know, I'd like to have a farm with a tractor. And I'll say, you can do that with your second husband, you know, because you'll have, you'll have all this money, you know, from the insurance. Buy a farm, negotiate the tractor into the deal, you know, like I want a farm with a tractor. I'm like, honey, we live in Fort Lauderdale and I don't even like to work in the yard, you know, so I mean, I'd like to fly and shoot lasers out of my eyes and the odds of these things happening are about the same, but you get the idea? It's not goodbye forever. It's goodbye for now. Forever is what waits for us. And there are no goodbyes in forever. So having commanded us to behold the gods of this world, okay, and all of their futility, having told us what they are, which again is a delusion, their works are nothing, it's just it's empty wind, God says. He then compares us those things with Jesus. He's like, all right, well, behold my servant whom I, God, uphold. What's what's upholding this over here? Nothing. They they can't even uphold themselves. Certainly they can't uphold us. He says, Behold my servant, whom I, God, uphold, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. Does that sound like anything? Because one of about 300 different ways that I can show that it's Jesus that is being talked about here is just to skip forward 700 years to the baptism of Christ and say, what happened there? He walks down into the water, he's baptized, he's coming up out of the water, and what do we read? It says that the heavens open, the Spirit of God descends upon him, I have put my Spirit on him. And what does God the Father say that everybody hears in that moment? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He's my chosen one, the one in whom my soul delights. And what is his mission? He will bring forth justice. It means literally the pattern to the nations. And you're like, all right, so then what is the pattern that he's going to bring forth to the nations? And it is really the pattern of the ethic of heaven. Like his mission is bring heaven and its ethic to earth, which sounds like a good deal. I mean, if you think about it, why? Because heaven is the place of perfect joy. It is the place of perfect peace. It is the place of perfect justice. It is the place of a perfect state of well-being across the board for absolutely everyone that everybody's happy with. It is the perfect place. The mission in broad strokes is to bring heaven to earth. That's why when the disciples come to Jesus and they're like, teach us how to pray, he's like, all right, so when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, Thy will be done where? On earth. How? As it is in heaven. And look, that's a mission that won't be completed until Jesus returns and makes it so, as we talked about last week. But that is a mission that we participate in now by taking this message of look at the gods of the world. You got it? Okay, now, look at Jesus to the rest of the world, thereby inviting people to become citizens of heaven, people who live the ethic of heaven in the midst of this world and proclaim the way to it. So Isaiah sings, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations, and in doing so, he continues, he will not cry aloud, meaning in distress, even though there is a lot of distress that happens to Christ if you know the story of his life. 
He will not cry aloud. He will not lift up his voice or make it heard in the street, meaning in complaint, though he had a lot to complain of had he chosen to do so. And then he speaks now about the weak. The weak physically, the weak emotionally, the weak spiritually, economically, socially, the disadvantaged. So gentle, Isaiah is saying, will be the approach of Jesus that he says a broken reed, a bruised reed, which is a stalk of grain that's snapped off, but it's still like hanging by some fibers. He says, yeah, not even that will he break. In a faintly burning wick, like it's flickering, it's just about to go out. Not even that will he put out. He will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. And what this is speaking to is the way in which he will faithfully bring forth justice. And what it's saying is, man, it's going to be different. When he shows up, it's going to be different from the way that all the kings and all the rulers of this world seek to bring forth justice. And how is that? Because it's uniform. There's one way. Power. Force. We're going to enforce justice on the people. Instead, Isaiah is saying, listen, in quietness and humility, Jesus is going to selflessly leave heaven And through a supernatural conception, he is going to take up flesh and blood like me and you, and he's going to come in the most unassuming possible way, which is as a child, a baby. Talk about vulnerability. One who will grow into a man, who will live a perfectly innocent life, and then in the place of the guilty will take upon himself all of the injustices that I've committed and and that you've committed, anybody who will claim him. And he will, at the expense of his life, by the power of his blood, wipe and make us all clean. And in that effort, we're told in verse 4, he will not grow faint or be discouraged until he has established justice in the earth. And then God makes this incredible claim. He says that the coastlands, which is just a reference to all the nations of the earth, okay? He says the coastlands wait for his law. And that's where you're tempted to get off the bus, isn't it? Like, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Like, you know, come on, seriously. Tom, are you telling me that you believe that all the nations of the earth are waiting for the law of Jesus? It's exactly what I'm saying. And I 100% believe that. But I also 100% believe that they don't know that that's what they're waiting for. That's true, too. I think everyone everywhere is waiting for, looking for, and longing for heaven. I think everyone everywhere is trying to make heaven on earth for themselves right now by means of the only means they have apart from God, which are all the gods of the world. It is the kings of the world. It is the rulers of the world. Hear that, because they too become idols. We're trying to get it done. How are we doing? We're doing about as well as everybody in history has ever done, which is not well. He's like, look, let me tell you who you're waiting for. And this is your message. Look at this. It's obviously not that. Behold my servant. He's the one the world waits for. God wants the nations to find him. And they find him through who? His spirit-filled body, his people, his physical presence in the earth, which is us. So having sung of his servant, God now sings to his servant, beginning in verse 5. And listen to what he sings. He says, thus says the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, 
I love this, who gives breath to the people on it. What is breath? It's life. You know, when you, when you start to breathe, you're living. When you expire, you expire. You stop breathing. Expiration. Who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. God's like, listen, if you want to know who is the person who has the most vested interest in the earth and in its people, he's like, it's me. I'm, I'm the one. And then he says to Jesus, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. And I love this. I will give you. Does that sound like anything? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. He's like, you're my gift to the world. I will give you as a covenant for the people. I have made a covenant that you will come and I will keep it. A light for the otherwise dark nations to open the eyes that are blind, which is a form of darkness. To bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, which is a place of darkness, from the prison. Those who sit in, here it is, darkness. He's like, my servant is going to come into the world and he's going to come into the world as a light. It's a dark world. Here comes the light. What does Jesus say about himself? John 12, 46. He says, I have come into the world as a light. Why? That whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Elsewhere, he says, I'm the light of the world. Then he looks at us and he says, you're the light of the world. Go out and be light. And the Lord concludes this with this, beginning in verse 8. He says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols, to the gods of this world. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. In fact, before they spring forth, in this case, 700 years before Jesus is born, I tell you of them, at which point the music stops, the song ends, and the window that the song is into the heart and mind and and soul of God becomes a mirror that we now are to look at ourselves in. And we need to ask, I mean, have I personally experienced the salvation that Jesus came into the world to bring? Oh, man, it's a joyous offer. You know, and I mean, all this stuff, this isn't getting it done. He's like, hey, good that you looked at all that. What about Jesus who in quietness and humility and selflessness came into the world to rescue you. Have I personally experienced the salvation that Jesus came into the world to bring? And then secondly, is Jesus' mission of taking that salvation to the world what moves my heart? Is it what occupies my mind? Is it what stirs my soul? Is it? It's what you think about. It's what you dream about. It's what you're scheming about. It's what you're planning for. It's like it's, is, is it that because that's what it's supposed to be. And I don't say that to like make you feel guilty. Oh, crud, I get, you know, okay. It's not the point. It's to say, man, you were made for a mission. There's a plan and a purpose to the world, and God is inviting you into it. And this is awesome. I saw some great examples of this this week, totally anonymous, just in case you're one of the examples. You don't need to be nervous. But I had, a, I had a meeting this past Tuesday with somebody here in this church and somebody else in the community. 
And it was a meeting with a huge organization that is worldwide, and they take the Bible and they just put it out to the world, and they're just amazing, incredible people. But I want to tell you why the meeting happened. I am a part of a board of an organization that creates biblical materials that are off the chart awesome, and I really think, and I don't create them, the founder creates them, and I think they are, and this is a big claim, I understand this, I think they're unique in all the earth, I really do. But I also think that apart from someone in this church who was moved by it, who said, my mind is now occupied with thoughts about this and the potential that I see in this. So this is stirring me. Unless that person stepped forward and got involved, I don't think we would ever have expanded beyond our 2,000 people email base and Broward County and a bunch of really rich and wonderful relationships that we have with other pastors and churches and people spread across a wide variety of churches. I really think we've got a message that needs to go worldwide But I don't think it ever would have, but for the fact that one of us in this church stepped forward and said, man, I I see the potential, I see the problem, and if you guys will let me, I think I can fix it, and did. It's very much still in process, but... You know, it's through these videos and things that were created that really it caught the eye of, of somebody over at that particular organization. And they're like, hey, you know, we saw these videos that were passed along to us. Would you guys be willing to meet with us? Because, I mean, this is kind of our thing, you know, but we're all over the world. And, and let's discuss what we could do together. And I'm like, listen, if you want to meet on the top of Mount Everest at 2 a.m., tomorrow we'll be there. And it was wonderful. I had a lunch on Friday with a group of businessmen here from this church And they're saying, hey, how can we work together to take nonprofits in this city in which we live and and to make them more investable, to bring what we bring to the table to what they because that's what they need. Awesome. How can we create a a vetting process whereby we, we put them through and we send operators in and we invest our time and our ability and our treasure into these guys, and then we can unleash, hopefully, lots of other money that goes into this so that the community can be transformed through these ministries that need what we have. Guys, the church is a sleeping giant, and I want to hit both of those words, sleeping and giant. When people start waking up, little things get big. And the talent that the world needs to see employed for the sake of its salvation, the message of its servant, is not the pastor's. It's you. So as you think about the song, two questions. Have I personally experienced the salvation that Jesus came into the world to bring? And secondly, if I have, okay, now let's look in the mirror. Man, is what moves the heart of God, is that moving my heart? Is what occupies the thoughts of God, his mind, is that what occupies my mind? Is, Is what stirs God's soul, what stirs my soul? Is Jesus' mission of taking that salvation to the world, has it grabbed me? Because it's grabbing. It is. All right, let's pray about that. Father, we come to you this morning. Lord, we are enamored with your servant. And oh God, but not enough. (laughs) Reveal him to us that we might be all the more enamored. That he might be the most compelling thing anywhere, period. 
Lord, reveal your beauty through the beauty of Jesus. Reveal your mercy through the mercy of Jesus. Reveal your love for us through the love of Christ that we see in one who has come, in one who has suffered, in one who has died, in one who has been buried, in one who has risen, and in one who now reigns. Give us faith in him. And for those of us who do not yet have faith in him but are willing to consider it, Lord, give us the, that compelling desire to consider it, you know, to join Alpha and to walk through the journey or to come forward after the service and just you know, close that deal. I, I, I want that. I, I need that. I see that. But all for the rest of us, Lord, we are a sleeping giant, the potential. God, capture us by your beauty and wake us up. Do that, not just for our own sake. Do that for the sake of your word and for the sake of your world. Wake us up. We love you. We praise you in Christ's name.